How is everybody? Good, good. We've been uh, going through Psalm 23, and uh, it's probably one of the few passages of the Bible I was familiar with before I was even really truly a Christian. <laughs> it's kind of everywhere, you know, set at funerals, uh, even secular funerals, you know, lots of needlepoint posters and hospitals. In fact, I, I really think, in fact, I'm almost sure of this, even in my public school, you know, a million years ago in the 1980s, I'm pretty sure my public school teacher had a Psalm 23 poster in her classroom. I think you could do that then. I don't think you could do that now. Uh, but, you know, Psalm 23 is one of those psalms where I kick back and I realize the more I study it, the less I know. You ever get that with a particular Bible passage? The more you read it, you're like, you start seeing this and this and this, and it just goes deeper and deeper and deeper. I could spend the next five weeks in the psalm. I think this is the it. This is, we're going to finish it here with the last verse, but it's one of those psalms where it just has so much in it. Now, two weeks ago, we started with the purpose of the psalm, and we kind of uh, coined it with the phrase, don't give the enemy a seat at the table but keep Jesus as your shepherd. Last week we talked about the promises of the psalm, right? The promises are lying down in green pastures, soul restoration, still waters that carry no danger, being led through, uh, not just to the valley of the shadow of death, but being led through the valley of the shadow of death. That's encouraging. And then of course, ending with enjoying the table that God had prepared for us, even though our enemies hover around. This week, we're going to talk about the problem of Psalm 23. Uh, I remember it was probably about, oh, about 20 years ago now. Uh, I went on, I was part of the on-call pastors group at the church that I worked at, and I received a phone call. It was my week to take it, and I received the phone call to do a hospital visit uh, for one, one of the members of our church about 20 years ago. It was a man in his late 50s, and uh, he was a Vietnam vet, and uh, had, he was in the hospital because he was suffering from Agent Orange. Uh, he, he was, he, I think he had some sort of cancer or some sort of kidney failure that was happening, and, and they found out that it was because of his experiences in the military uh, in Vietnam where they were spraying all that chemical agent, Agent Orange. So now he was having the repercussions of it. And so they sent me, I'm 27, I'm, I, I'm really kind of new to hospital visits in general, and I went in there and I'm, you know, kind of talking to the guy, I recognized him immediately because he was the father of one of the kids in our youth group, I was the youth pastor, and I remember I was just, I was talking with him, and I shared, you know, some of those verses from the Bible that are meant to be encouraging. Uh, you know, surely goodness and kindness will follow me all the days of my life, right? Psalm 23, 6. And I shared, you know, Romans 8, 28. God can work all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. I, mean, I, I thought the hospital meeting was going very well. But after I had shared the scriptures, he just looked at me. And I could tell it was an angry, I'm about to punch you out look. And he looked at me and said, son... You and I don't want to go there. 
I'm like, go where, you know? And, 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 and I was like, I was really caught off guard. So, I mean, I segued and, and I finally was able to leave. And, uh, you know, the next day I was in church and one of the chaplains, one of the military chaplains went to our church and he, he pulled me aside and said, hey, I got a call from this guy in the hospital. And he said, don't ever send you to the hospital again. I was like, it was like, it was like I felt like a failure, you know? Don't ever send you to go and pray for him again. And I said, man, he said, why? He said, well, he said, because you shared, and he said some of the scriptures that you shared with him. I said, yeah, I did. He goes, you know what? Th those scriptures don't work on everybody, all right? Sometimes you just got to be there, and you got to take a different approach. I understood what he was saying, but the phrase that stuck with me was those scriptures don't work on everybody. So I began to have this little dance in my head. Well, what scriptures work and what scriptures don't work if they don't work on everybody? And it kind of geeked me out for a while because I realized that I was sharing scriptures I didn't really know anything about at some, at some point and that I needed to dig a little deeper. What do you do sometimes with scriptures that seem too good to be true? We're going to go ahead now and look again at Psalm 23. Read it with me here. It'll also be on the screen. Beginning in verse 1, it says, The Lord is my shepherd. That's Jesus saying, Allow me to lead you. Allow me to guide you. I promise you, I will lead you to good places. He says, I shall not want. That's Jesus' uh, commitment to provide for your needs. He makes me lie down in green pastures meaning Jesus will stop us right in the middle of our freakouts, busyness, or burnouts and make us lie down in green, safe pastures. He leads me beside the still waters, means Jesus will never lead us into dangerous waters or waters we could drown in. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Yeah, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, remember that was an allusion to Goliath, David's struggle with Goliath, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. If you were to ask me, Tom, what is the cure for fear? One word, Jesus. Jesus is the cure for fear. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Your rod and your staff, haven't really touched on that one. Uh, that's an allusion to God's guidance, right? The rod and the staff guided the sheep where God was leading them they comfort me you prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies God is always present even in the midst of our enemies or the enemy he says you anoint my oil my head with oil I know we didn't really touch on that one either but that simply means God heals us he says my cup runs over we didn't touch on that one either, but that means God has blessed us so much we can be a blessing to others. My cup runs over, right? I've got all I need and the overflow I can share with others. Uh, then we get to verse six, and I'll be honest with you. I have wrestled with this scripture ever since that hospital visit because I used this scripture at that hospital visit. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It's this last verse that really causes struggle because if many of you were honest, 
you'd kind of go, you know, God, I really think I know how that verse should read. Shouldn't it read more like this? Surely trial and suffering will follow me all the days of this life. But I will dwell in the house of the Lord after this dogfight of a life. I think for many of you, you'd say, yeah, I think it should say that. But it doesn't. It says what it says for a reason. When I think of Psalm 23, 6, I think of its New Testament equivalent, which is Romans 8, 28. And that's what we're going to kind of preach on both of them. But we're going to hit Romans 8, 28 this morning, which simply says, we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Now, here's the interesting thing. This week, I'll be honest with you, I was tempted to just move off from this psalm. I read it, and I remember I read that verse, and I thought of that hospital experience, and I thought, you know what, I don't even want to go through that memory again. And I, and I read that scripture, and I'm like, God, how do, I, how do I say this scripture without acknowledging the fact that it seems like a lot more than goodness and mercy follow us in this life? And I was stewing and churning on it. The, the, the sermon was taking so long to write, and, and my, my, I don't want to say my heart wasn't in it. My heart was maybe more in it than it needed to be, and, and I was just churning on it. Finally, I just, I just had to get away from everything and pray. And as I began to pray, I felt God speak a sentence into my heart. And I know it's God because for me, it seems like when God speaks, it's just like one simple sentence that has a huge meaning, right? And as I was praying and churning, I felt God just say, very lovingly and very confidently, Tom, I can turn all evil into good. Tom, I can turn anything bad that happens in your life into good. So Tom, surely goodness and mercy does follow you all the days of your life. You're not at the mercy of this world. You're not at the mercy of fate. When bad things or negative things happen to you, it gets my attention because I am involved in your life. And when those things happen, I am there. You better believe it. And I can bring good out of anything that happens to you. Trust me in this. And then all of a sudden, the verse just exploded in my heart as I began to accept what I feel like the Lord spoke to my heart. <clears throat> One time, I was going to the dentist. And it's the dent going to the dentist is never a fun thing for anybody, right? I mean, I know very few people other than people who like go every three months, you know, that are excited to go to the dentist. But one time I went to the dentist because I had a toothache on a tooth that had already been filled. So I went in and he's looking at my teeth and he does all these x-rays. He's like, I can't find that. He's looking, he's looking, he's looking. He goes, oh, go figure. I said, go figure what? 
He said, he starts laughing. He goes, wow, I've never seen that. You've got a cavity in your filling, and now it's reached your tooth. I'm going to have to drill from the side. Boy, by the time you're over, this is going to be more filling than tooth. And he starts laughing. He said, man, I've never seen that before. He's calling in all those people. Look at that. He's got a cavity in his filling. What I'm thinking is, I just paid you a year ago to fill this tooth so that it wouldn't get any more cavities. And you're telling me that your job was so lackluster that a cavity still went down and found my tooth anyway? I'm totally upset, you know? But I think what really shook me was this. This man is a dentist. He's a doctor. He went through years and years and years of school to know what he is doing. And when he was shocked by something he had never seen before, it made me lose my faith a little bit in the experts of this world, right? You know, like, like not to say that I don't trust doctors or I don't, but, but I began to realize, you know what, they are human, they are people too, and they get surprised by things every day. Just like my dentist was surprised that there was a cavity in the filling. Go figure, to this day, I can't explain to you how that's even possible, but that's what he said. as I began to think about that experience, I remember just thinking, you know what, God, you truly are the only expert. You're the only expert. You're the only one who really has the answers. And you know what? Only he can turn anything in our lives from bad to good. If a cavity can still drill its way through a filling, boy, we've got to trust God. Amen? So if you flip over your uh, discussion sheet we're going to go through four points here as it relates to how to minister and understand psalm 23 6 surely goodness and kindness will follow me all the days of my life and romans 8 28 and god can cause all things to work together for the good for those who love him and are called according to his purposes my first point is this and you see it And it's the most important one. Never minimize another person's pain. As I looked back on that hospital visit, there was one mistake I made. I minimized the pain. I minimized the experience. I came in thinking I was the hot young pastor out of Bible college who had all the scriptures and all the answers. I didn't take time to sit down and grieve with the man. He was dying. There's no coming back from Agent Orange and what it does to you. He was dying. Had I come in and just sat with him? Remember, you remember what uh, uh, the story of Lazarus, right? They come to get Jesus. Jesus doesn't get to Lazarus for three days. By then, he's been dead and buried for three days. The first thing that Jesus did was just say, I have the answer. I am the resurrection of the life. You shouldn't all be crying. Why are you all crying? I'm about to do a miracle. It's not what Jesus did. The first thing that Jesus did was he wept. I think he grabbed the hands of Mary and Martha, Lazarus' sisters, who were wailing probably by that time, and confused. I think he cried with them. 
I think he started hugging everybody. I think he kind of joined a little bit in the pain of the moment. Because even God doesn't minimize our pain when we go through hard times. This verse is sometimes misused by well-meaning Christians who kind of throw it in the face of those who are suffering as if Romans 28, 28 or Psalm 23, 6 could answer every question or mystery of life. In fact, that's really the opposite of what God is saying. Not all suffering is from God. God's simply saying that he can turn and use all suffering for good if you let him. He's saying, you're not at the mercy of it. I am still more powerful and above your suffering and your pain. Suppose that I get in a car accident, right? You ever see, uh, the other day, the other day we had a spooky thing happen. My wife and I were driving, and, and I'm driving, I'm at the corner of Callaway and Hegman Road, r- right by uh, River Lakes Church. And we're sitting there, and we're about to turn, I can't remember if we're turning right or left. I think it was left, toward the church. And I said, honey, God's telling me we're going to pray for somebody right now. And I, and I remember thinking, this just sounds spooky. She's going to think I'm getting spooky. She's going to wonder what's happening to me. But I, she, you, I'm not lying. You can ask her about this. I said, I just have this heavy feeling that something bad is happening, and we need to pray right now for someone who's injured. I said, I don't know, maybe a car accident or a heart attack in a home nearby here, but something close to us, it was like a radar, is happening, and I feel like God is saying, pray right now. And we're praying, we didn't see a thing until we turned right and we go up the road, and all of a sudden, the flashing lights. There was a horrible car accident, and there were some people still laying on the road. I mean, the paramedics were getting to them. But it was just this sense of, you know, when you see this car wreck, this car was smashed and crunched into almost nothing. And so, so imagine you have a car wreck, but the mechanic comes to you and says, dude, you haven't had a car accident. Your car has just been beautifully rearranged for the better. Now, what's going to happen is, you're going to look at the cracked grill. You're going to look at the bent fender. You're going to look at the twisted bumper or the shattered windshield. And you're going to say, dude, you're smoking crack. This car isn't rearranged. It's wrecked. And sometimes you've got to say, this was a car wreck. But see, that's how we sound when we try to minimize somebody else's pain. Oh, it wasn't really this. It's just this, you know. And the good news is you are never left to a fate of a tragedy that is beyond God's power to deliver you from. Now that's goodness. That's mercy. Amen? Number two, good and bad work together to produce something better. Good and bad, things happening to you, work together to produce something better. This is what the Lord's saying. When tragedy strikes and we can't see a purpose, don't assume that there isn't one. Romans 8, 28 says, and we know that all things work together. Now the phrase work together is is one word in the Greek. 
In the Greek, it's synergon. Synergon. It's where we get our English word synergy, right? Synergy means things working together when you put two or more things together to form something brand new that neither of them could form separately. They work in synergy, right? You can have an engine and you can have a transmission. By themselves, are they going anywhere? No. Put them together, we could drive to New York City right now, right? That's synergy. God is saying almost like that. They work together to form something new. Sometimes I think of it like stew. I love stew. You could put almost anything inside stew, and I will like it, right? You put in the, the potatoes, the carrots, the green beans, the broccoli, the turnips, and the cauliflower, right? And you cook it, and it's great. I will eat it all day long. But I'm telling you this right now. You try to get me to eat a turnip all by itself, ugh. And Lord have mercy, I won't eat cauliflower all by itself, you know. So, I mean, all by itself, they can almost seem like, Ugh. But you put them together, and they make a delicious stew. I remember when I was younger, my dad worked for General Motors. He had to go in and get something. And he parked in such a way where he's like in front of a long factory. I talked to him last night, and he thinks this occurred when we lived in Ohio, uh, in Dayton, Ohio, near, which is near Cincinnati, Bengals <laughs> and uh, and and when he parked he had to go in he said he, we looked at the factory he said all the semis come in from this part of the factory and they drop off all the parts and then you'll see all the cars come out the other so while he's in there my brother and I are looking and here's the funny thing about a factory they are loud they are loud we hear banging Boom, boom, boom. It's almost like a train going through there. And then you see flashes from the sparks of the welding that's happening. Here's the thing. We don't know what's going on inside that factory, but whatever's going on, it ain't pretty. But at the end of the line, there's a fully functioning car. Because by itself, they don't do anything. But as God in that factory of our heart that we sometimes can't see where there's a lot of banging and a lot of sparks flying a lot of things happening it's in there where God puts the good and the bad together to produce something better that's goodness that's mercy number three this will be the hardest one some of you will not like this because I don't always like it but it's true we need to define the word good as God defines it. When you hear goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life, come on, for many of us, right, we think the good equals things like health and happiness, solid relationships, our pleasures, our money, food, food on the table, nice place to live, be able to go on vacation all the time, in general, we think of the good life when it comes to good. And that's the good we often ask for from God when we're asking for good things. We're asking for those kinds of things. And by the way, those things are part of the good God has for us. I don't want to negate the fact that God does want to put 
food on your table. He does want to put clothes on your back, and he does want to put a roof over your head. But there is a bigger good. Paul defines it in the very next verse. Context is key when you study the Bible. Romans 8.28 is all things work together for the good for those who love him and are called according to the purpose. Romans 8.29 defines the good that we're talking about. The very next verse says, For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son. That makes it very clear. For God, good is anything that helps us to become more like Jesus. Good is anything that helps us live as he lived. Pray as he prayed. Move in power as he moved in power. Forgive as he forgave. Eat as he ate. Walk as he walked. To have a life with balance. No fear. No codependencies. Him and a total love for the Father. That's the good that God wants to produce in us. There's a book called Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan. I hope at some point before you leave this world, you read that book. Uh, it, is, it is a hard book to read because it's a poem. It's, it rhymes, so, you know, we like rhymes, right? But it is, it, is a, it is quite a classic work of literature by John Bunyan. And he wrote, I want to read you two stanzas. I thought he did very well. He, he said this, I walked a mile with pleasure, but she just chattered all the way. And I was none the wiser for all she had to say. But then I walked a mile with sorrow. And not a word said she. But oh, the lessons did I learn when sorrow walked with me. Remember this. God does not intentionally hurt you. It may feel like it. And when your brain starts going with, well, God has all power, and God is everywhere, and God sees everything, and all God could do is snap his fingers and fix all of this right now, or God could have prevented this from happening. I mean, I know it. I get it. As humans, our minds go there. If we were God, we would snap our fingers and make every, every answer yes to every prayer, right? Well, if you've ever seen the movie Bruce Almighty, you see how that works out. Yeah. <laughs> God does not intentionally hurt you. There are many things we don't know. We don't know why babies die. Cars get wrecked. Why planes crash. Why families break up. Why good people get sick. And then sometimes die. But this we do know. God is at work. In and through all of that. And he has not forgotten us. He loves us. Surely, goodness and mercy do follow us all the days of our life because he is following us all the days of our life. Finally, number four, and this is specific to Romans 8.28. The promise is limited to those who love God. Notice the last phrase of 8.28. 
It's a promise to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. That's an all-important limitation, and it must be said. This is not a blanket promise to the whole human race. Why? Because God's purpose is to make his children into the image of his son. And the whole human race does not want to be like Jesus. Most of the human race probably doesn't actively works to not be like Jesus. But for those who love God and are called according to his purpose, that's the good work he's doing in you. He's making you more like his son because that's the goodness that's the mercy. That's the good working together. And I would ask you this. The question for all of us today, have you responded to God's call? Called according to his purpose. Oh, I got a lot of purposes in my life that have nothing to do with God. And I have to deny those. <laughs> because I want to live my life God knows I try hard. Some days I nail it. Some days I don't. I got to wake up the next morning and thank God for his mercies that are new every morning. Amen. But to say, God, the older I get with each passing year, may I and my purposes decrease and may you and your purposes increase. Because only then will I have true joy, true happiness, and true peace. Amen? There's a story told. This is every pastor's worst nightmare. When somebody has a child and that child passes away. What do you say when you go into the home? How do you comfort I'm extra skittish of that because that hospital incident still is messing with me sometimes. Just throwing it out there, being real. Sometimes I'm still a little gun shy. One time a pastor went in, and man looked at the pastor and just said, Pastor, where was God when my son died? Oh, what a horrible thing. What a horrible place to be. Who of you would want to have that come at you? The pastor just looked at him, gave him a big hug, and said, the same place he was when his son died. And that man began to weep and cry and said, thank you, pastor. That was the best and only answer you could have given. And it's healed. It's healed a part of my heart that was grieving. Where's God when bad things happen to us? Same place he was when bad things happened to him, his son. God knows what we're going through. God's been there. He watched his own son die, and because he can make good out of evil, we can confidently say, surely goodness and mercy will follow us all the days of our lives. And with that, we conclude our study on Psalm 23. I hope that was helpful for you. Before we close this morning, 
I want to go back to the limitations of all these promises. And the limitations are this. Have you responded to the call of God on your life? There's a call he's placed on all of us. Many calls. I have several calls of God. Called to be a husband to my wife. Sometimes I take time out of my week to husband her, to, to do what God has called me to be a husband for her. I make no bones about it. I'm not ashamed that there are, there are days I fly home from this church to go back home to be with my wife and comfort her. There's days she does that for me. I have a call to be a father. I have three boys that are growing up in the most confusing world I could have ever imagined them to grow up in. God's called me to be their dad, to be God in the flesh for them. And although I'm not God, I try to do what God would do as their father through me as their earthly father. I'm called to be a pastor, to protect, to teach, to be an example, to do these Sunday services. Believe it or not, during the midweek, there's a whole church to run. <laughs> Bills to get paid. <laughs> Have you responded to God's call? Not just going to be one thing. There's many things. Bow your heads. Pray with me. Repeat after me. Say, Lord Jesus, I declare right now, may I decrease and you increase. Thank you for forgiving me for all my sins. I confess Jesus Christ as my Lord and my Savior. I ask you to fill me with the Holy Spirit, with the gifts of the Spirit, and the fruit of the Spirit daily so that I may be a part of your kingdom come. In Jesus' name, amen.